Hello and welcome to the very first episode of Manifesto, the podcast that asks the question, what would a fairer, more equal, more sustainable society look like and how could it be brought into being? On this podcast, I'll be talking to economists, environmentalists, activists, theorists, social entrepreneurs, designers and politicians about what the future could look like if we were to get serious about tackling injustice and to commit to building a world that puts people and planet before profit. I wanted to start this podcast because all too often, I think, when people on the progressive side of politics criticise the status quo, um, they get accused of not presenting viable alternatives to organising society and that accusation is just used to shut down their arguments straight away. But the fact is that all over the world, brilliant people are going against the grain of what we've been told for decades is the way things have to be and are suggesting or actually practising fairer and more sustainable ways of living in the world. I also think that too often discussions of this kind um, about changing the world and big ideas can be the preserve of academics and universities or highly intellectual publications and they just become incredibly complex and elevated and that's exactly what I'm keen to avoid with this podcast Um, because I think if we want to get serious about changing the world the ideas about how to do so need to be out there in the mainstream they need to be accessible and engaging um, rather than just off-puttingly complex so yeah it's locked down I'm in my living room my internet is a bit dodgy so let's see how this goes Um, I'm really excited to share it with you this week I spoke to Milo Costanza from the Wellbeing Economy Alliance or WEAL Um, the idea of a wellbeing economy has kind of shot to prominence in the last couple of years with the Scottish government founding WEGO the group of wellbeing economy governments and New Zealand unveiling its first wellbeing budget in 2019 in a nutshell it's about creating an economy or restructuring the economy that we currently have so it puts people and the planet before profit and seeking to base the success of the economy on a lot more than just GDP growth as is currently the case I wanted to speak to Milo to get a better grasp of what it means and how we might be able to get there so here we go Milo Costanza is on Manifesto episode one Hi Milo, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Um, it's lovely to meet you over Zoom. Um, so I just wanted to start off by asking really, what is a well-being economy? Uh, yeah, well, it's lovely to, to meet you as well. I'm really excited to be here. So a well-being economy is uh, really one that values uh, human and ecological well-being over other goals like economic growth, uh, corporate profits, that kind of thing. Um, so it's really trying to like realign the um, the economy with like the, the actual like goals, uh, the things that we, we should really be, be caring about, the, the things that the economy um, should be achieving for, for people. Right, yeah. And how, how, in your view, does that differ from what we have at the minute, just to paint it out really clearly? Yeah, so right now, um, countries have kind of uh, gotten into this, this model that just sees GDP as uh, a universal good, right? So, um, it's, it's seen as like the only measure of how well an economy is doing is, is if the economy is growing or not, whether or not GDP is, is going up or going down. Um, and we see a lot of rhetoric around that as well. Uh, we, see, we say that like uh, a government has, has done a really good job uh, managing the economy if GDP has gone up. Um, but GDP isn't really good at measuring the success of the economy. It's good at measuring the size of the economy. And that's important for certain things, right? That's not something that we should just completely disregard as a, as a metric, because I mean, it, it, is, it is useful, but it's not, it doesn't equate the, uh, the success of the, the economy. 
Um, so instead, what we, we need to be doing is looking at a lot of other indicators as uh, kind of equal to GDP, um, which we don't really do right now. We kind of see GDP as, as the goal, and then there are other things that are nice to have, like um, you know, increasing uh, life expectancy, in, improving uh, natural capital, uh, maintaining ecosystems, all that kind of thing are, are nice to haves, but they're not uh, on the same level as, as GDP. Yeah, they're um, kind of, I guess, I feel like seen as luxuries that you can have if your GDP growth is adequate and if the size of your economy is, is enough, then maybe we can think about those things things after yeah. that. So how broad do you think the scope needs to be? Like, what are, what are some of the kind of things that we should be taking into account when we're measuring the success of, of, of an economy or a country? Yeah, so there's a lot of a lot of different models, um, kind of going from one end of the spectrum, there's things like uh, GPI, the genuine genuine progress indicator. Uh, and that takes GDP into account so that that starts with GDP. And then it says, okay, well, let's take away the things that the GDP considers to be good, um, that are actually negative. So for example, uh, like a classic example is if you have an oil spill, that's, that's great for GDP. GDP goes up because of that, because uh, there's a lot of activity around cleaning up the oil spill. There's a lot of activity around, um, you know, like uh, it, uh, cleaning up the, the environment from, from that happening. Um, so yeah, GPI kind of tries to uh, see those negatives as negatives. So it, it incorporates uh, environmental damages as kind of a, a negative. Um, and it also tries to incorporate some kind of non-monetized contributions as well. So uh, things like like volunteering, uh, it tries to like make those a positive on top of, of GDP. So that's kind of something that that starts with GDP and then builds on that. So that kind of expands um, from GDP as a metric. Uh, and then you have a lot of different indicators or different kind of measurement systems um, kind of moving away from that, that uh, maybe start to use uh, income instead. Uh, and a lot of other, other metrics such as like um, unemployment, uh, like uh, all the way up to kind of perceived, perceived happiness. That's kind of the, the other side of the spectrum is like, let's not think about any of the, the actual indicators of, of like um, how much people are, are making. Uh, let's think about just like how like, Good do people see their own lives? How well do they uh, yeah. perceive, perceive their happiness? Uh, yeah, so I feel like yeah, that's like a million miles away from from where we are at the minute. Like happiness as an indicator of how successful a, a economy or country is would like never be taken into account. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, I mean, that yeah, it's kind of done in uh, in Bhutan. That's kind of one of their their central indicators is um, is their their happiness index. So they. And they, they do use that to make a lot of decisions. So it's not just one of those nice to haves that's like, um, you know, oh, look, we, we have like the happiest uh, population in the world or our happiness has, uh, has gone up since, since last year. It's actually something that they use in their, their policy decision-making um, to, to kind of determine what things are going to positively impact happiness and then kind of drive in, in that direction. Um, so it's not it's not something that uh, is completely unheard of. Um, obviously, it's it doesn't it is is very far away from just using G GDP as kind of the central metric to uh, determine everything. Um, but yeah, there are a lot of a lot of different uh, metrics that I think could go go into that. Uh, I think the problem is that it's really hard to uh, 
get kind of universality with with that. It's hard to get everybody in the world to agree that a metric is is going to be positive, right? So, um, what's a good example? Maybe like uh, unemployment, for example, right? So that might be a really really important metric in somewhere like um, the UK or Australia, where um, your employment has like a direct impact on how happy you are, how good your life is. Um, so, you know, if you're, if you're employed, then you're probably going to be way happier than, than people who aren't. You're probably going to have more well-being. Um, but in other places where, where work is kind of more informal, uh, that might not be the case, right? So you might not have formal employment uh, or less of the population would have, might have formal employment, um, but they still might have services, they might still have the community connections, um, the kind of social capital that uh, makes like, uh, that creates well-being, right? All those things that go into well-being are still there, even though they don't have employment. So that that exists with a lot of those, um, those indicators. So it's really hard to get one universal kind of um, system that can like measure the success of every economy in the entire world. And I think that's probably why GDP has been used so so widely is because it's really just like a very easy metric to um, to point to, to say um, which which countries are kind of uh, like developing at like a faster or slower rate. Um, so I think that's why it's been used, but I think it's whatever whatever other kind of indicators we choose to use, um, that's, that's going to give us a better picture of uh, the economy than if we just uh, use GDP on its own. Yeah, that's, I, I kind of wanted to ask you about that as to why it is that countries um, have got so caught into the trap of simply relying on GDP as a, a metric, like you say, for measuring the success and the health of their economy. What, why, why is it that we now see GDP as like the be all and end all, like it's prioritized above all else. Economic growth is absolutely it. Yeah, well, I think it's there's a there's a few reasons. Um, I think that when GDP was first conceived, uh, it was really really important, and it was really like a metric of well-being because that was right after World War II, right? So, uh, for those po post-war economies, what they needed to do to rebuild people's lives um, and to make people's lives better again was to restart the economy, right? Um, get industries uh, working again. Um, get like the, the process of development kind of going again. So they just really needed to, to get that engine running. And that was the priority that, that kind of built economic growth as like this central goal. Um, and I think that, that that starting point was uh, just a very like, um, it was a, a good place for GDP to kind of uh, come out of. Uh, and then from, from that, I think, the other thing is that we've just been kind of sold a bit of a, a lie, really. Um, we've been sold this kind of um, neoliberal rhetoric that uh, growing the economy um, is going to increase incomes for everyone, right? So everybody is going to, to kind of uh, get richer together. Yeah, and the trickle down, trickle down idea, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, like the the whole kind of idea of like a, a rising tide, um, what is it? Rises rises all boats, something like that. Um, yeah. So basically, just the, the the trickle down idea that um, 
like everybody in an economy is going to be better off if the economy is growing, um, which in some cases at really low levels of income has been proven to be to be true. Um, so when an economy is just kind of starting to like when the, the biggest priority is um, getting people to like have food and water and all that kind of thing, things like uh, then GDP, GDP becomes very important, income becomes very important. Um, but I think the problem is that GDP doesn't necessarily equal um, rising incomes for everyone, right? So uh, if like a billionaire makes another billion, um, that's the same as like the bottom 50% of, of people um, making a billion dollars. So it doesn't really measure kind of equity within a society. It just measures the, the total um, product, right? So I think that's really just something that we need to, to realize as a society that, that GDP doesn't measure what we actually want it to measure. Um, it doesn't measure what we've been told it measures. Uh, it's just kind of um, something that, that like shows how, how fast the economy is, um, is growing. Right, so, yeah. yeah. So I've, it's kind of like one of those ideas there seems to be quite a few that still circulate in society that served a purpose at a particular time in, in history, maybe quite a long time ago. And, and for some reason, people are so reluctant to let go of it. Do you, do you think that is because I'm just thinking, is it, it's so, you, you know, you mentioned kind of neoliberal politics. So thinking about Reagan and Thatcher and the, the kind of the birth of the free market and stuff um, where kind of, yeah, crazy, crazy levels of, of, enrichment suddenly became possible for a small kind of elite of people um do you think that's part of the reason that gdp has stayed so near the top of the, the kind of the list of importance of of things we take into account because it is so intimately tied to to free market capitalism which ultimately is all about growth you know ingrained in its it's very kind of like uh logic I suppose you could say yeah. Yeah. is growth. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think that I think that's exactly right. I think that um, it's it's really about like uh, the fact that like that whole model of of development has kind of been built on the idea that you need a growing economy um, to make people's people's lives better, and you need and to do that, the best way to grow an economy is to have a free market capitalist system, um, and that might leave a lot of other people behind, but the fact that it grows the economy means that that in this this kind of uh, model means that that is um, okay, you know. So I think that that's that's really the problem is that like the the model that we've um, kind of centered our the entire global economy around is built on the idea that growing the economy is the most important goal. Yeah, um, and so without wanting to sound too defeatist, it sounds like we've got we we've got a it's a big task on our hands if we want to organize our economy around well-being um instead of instead of gdp instead of growth um does that involve a bit of an over a complete overhaul of society like if if um everything in society for so long has been centered around growth what what is what's the kind of model what are we what are we looking at if we're not if we're not looking at growth what what how can we kind of explain it um, the, the shape of the economy that might take. I'm think, yeah, thinking, thinking literally. I suppose thinking of, of something growing exponentially. What what are we looking for our economy to do if it's not just simply growing? 
Yeah, well, that's that's an interesting um, kind of point as well, right? Because you like in in nature, you can't have things that grow exponentially forever and ever and ever and ever. Because at some point, they always those those systems always collapse. So there's a an interesting analogy that a lot of people have used for um, the current economy of of um, yeast in a, a petri dish. So what yeast does when you're it's in a confined space is it just grows and expands and expands at kind of a increasing rate until it runs out of food and then it just all all kind of collapses really quickly. Um, so that's kind of what we're we're doing right now. We're just um, yeah, we're, we're like assuming that we're going to be able to grow and grow and uh, just grow our way out of this problem. Um, but that's not really um, an option at this point. So really what we need now is kind of to be agnostic about growth. So we don't necessarily need to say that growth is going to um, like go down. We don't need to like, we, we just don't really need to think about it as kind of um, an important metric, metric of success. So one way you could think about that is kind of stabilizing the economy, right? So instead of uh, making the economy grow, we just want it to um, become stable and become really resilient to a lot of shocks. Um, so that's, yeah, I think that's kind of a priority now. Uh, that's what the way that we, we should be thinking about the economy is kind of how do we uh, make it more resilient? And I think that that's really something that's gonna be become more of a forefront issue, um, especially out of out of COVID. Yeah, yeah, I was just thinking exactly that what we've seen, you know, when you were just speaking there, you mentioned solving the problem. And I'm guessing what we're talking about really there is that our economies have stopped serving the people they've stopped doing their job that, that should be um, providing people with the things they need to live their lives. Um, I think that's kind of been thrown into relief during the coronavirus pandemic that as soon as a crisis hits, the economy, the free market economy anyway, was completely inept at making sure people got what they needed and ensuring that people had a kind of like a foundation in the first place that if they did lose their job or, or I don't know, put on furlough or whatever it was that they they had they still had what they needed to survive and charities and, you know, nonprofit organizations had to step in to, to fill the breach. Is, is that the problem we're talking about that economies have just, you know, whether they ever did or not, maybe is another debate, but that our economies have stopped um, serving the people. Yeah, I think that's, that's definitely um, a really important point. Like, I think that, um, and I, I definitely don't know whether whether they ever ever did. I don't know if that's something that's like new um, with kind of this this new neoliberal model that we've developed in the past um, few decades. But I think that um, yeah, it's important to understand that that like the economy is made up of people, and I think that we've kind of forgotten that. So um, I think that like at the moment, uh, the economy works fairly well for a few people um, when things are good. Right, but as soon as there's a shock, um, you know, as we've seen with with COVID, uh, people get evicted en masse. People can't find food. People can't access the health healthcare they need. Um, so people's well-beings definitely have not been kind of um, growing along with uh, GDP. And I think that there's there's a really interesting uh, graph actually that that shows uh, GDP and uh, GPI, the the genuine progress indicator, kind of together. Um, and tracks them since from like the 1950s. Uh, and initially up until like 1970 about, um, they both were kind of increasing at the same rate. So they were, they were kind of following each other. Uh, 
and there were a few few shocks in there as well but like both of them um, went up and down together so they were kind of coupled but then around uh, the 70s and 80s uh, GDP started to increase and GPI started to flatline and now it's actually even started to go down as well um, and I think that that's a really like obviously there are problems with with that as a metric but I think that that's a really like um, useful analogy for what's what's been happening is that um, GDP has kind of taken off but we haven't been uh, like taken along with that like a lot of a lot of people have have just kind of been left without any support network um, and have been left with uh, without really the basics that make uh, a good life uh, even though GDP has been increasing very very steadily um, since it uh, kind of was first introduced right yeah um, so thinking practically what where's the what's the starting point how do we go about converting economies into well-being economies where do we need to start if that's not too <laughs> that's not too big a question yeah yeah well i mean it's it definitely is like a question that is is going to be different for every country right i think that like context is really important um, and what well-being means in that that context is is really important. So we can't just say there's like a blanket few steps that a country needs to to take. Um, I think really broadly though, uh, the those those steps would be to be to to restructure um, the goals of the economy um, and to reframe the debate about around um, humans instead of thinking about uh, how this is going to affect the growth of the economy. Uh, we need to think how is this going to affect people and how is this going to affect um, the planet, natural capital, all those kinds of things. Um, and that has that has happened in a few places. So New Zealand is a, a really um, good example. They've they've taken the first step and have kind of um, they've they've developed a, a budget uh, that's built on these well-being indicators. Um, so it kind of incorporates those uh, those indicators into to the budget and into those um, decisions. Uh, and that's that's really something that we haven't really seen that much of before. Uh, so uh, I think Scotland, that's Scotland the first as well, right? step. Scotland. Oh yeah, Scotland, Scot Scotland as well as I think. Good old Scotland. Things. Yeah, so Scotland, New Zealand, uh, I think. <laughs> Is it Iceland? I think Ireland, Wales, and uh, Iceland. Yeah. Yeah, Iceland. Those are the, the, the um, countries that are part of we all officially. Um, and then there are some other really interesting examples as well, um, like Bhutan, Costa Rica, uh, that kind of are not really, those are kind of breaking the mold of just uh, Western uh, democracies kind of um, following like a, a very similar model of, of how to achieve a well-being economy. Uh, but yeah, getting back to your, to your question, I think that the other thing as well is, is to just follow those best practice examples from around the world. Um, so there, this isn't really something that's that's a conceptual idea. It's it's. I mean, like a well-being economy is is obviously pretty broad, right? That uh, comes into like a lot of different aspects of um, the economy and of of society. Um, and well-being alliance really isn't trying to. Uh, uh, it's not trying to like create another new idea on top of um, all of these other ideas. It's really trying to build consensus and say that, look, whatever, what a lot of these, these different organizations that are all kind of doing different um, work and calling their work different things, they're all working towards the same goals, right? They're all working towards human and ecological well-being. Um, so I think that in 
a lot of these different areas like um, business, governance, food, um, water, all that kind of, there's all these areas that have really amazing examples that have been proven to work, um, that have worked in, in certain contexts. Uh, so, for example, with, with governance, I think like participatory democracy, getting more kind of community engagement is really important to kind of um, figure out what people actually need, uh, rather than, than just kind of assuming that what they need is, is growth. Uh, and similarly for, for business as well, uh, there's a lot of interesting work happening in uh, social entrepreneurship and community ownership of, of businesses, uh, which would allow people to kind of uh, get the benefits of uh, of enterprise in their in their country, rather than those uh, those benefits just going to a few shareholders, um, and not really serving society as a whole. Um, so yeah, yeah. Other than that, though, it's really it's really it really depends on the the context, um, like and depends on the country and 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 what the um, that economy kind of needs. I think. Yeah. Do you think that um, as well um, as as those alternative models that you mentioned is it is would the transition involve uh, taking back power from corporations, from, you know, multinational corporations that have just seemed to wield so much power over governments at the minute and kind of addressing that, um, uh, addressing the fact that our governments seem to, I keep saying our governments, governments in countries like Britain and Australia and other, other countries in Europe and America, governments have cozied right up to um, big business leaders um, so that the lines almost seem blurred now between who are actually led, who are actually led by who's making the decisions that govern our lives. Like in Britain, so many co contracts to help deal with coronavirus were given to companies like Serco, which is a private, a private company um, that, that wields immense power over society. So, yeah, if we're um, thinking about moving away from growth um, as the goal and towards well-being, are we going to have to wrestle back a bit of control from those companies and, and put it back in the hands of the people. Yeah, I think that's that's definitely an important part of it. Um, that's a really good point. I think that, um, yeah, as you as you said, that's that's really like the 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 first step that's that's going to be able to like allow us to um, invest in all of these other really interesting uh, areas, right? So none none of that is going to happen if uh, these powerful multinational corporations still uh, keep the control that they they have now. Um, so I think you're right. I think that it, it definitely requires us to kind of uh, think about that, that power structure and um, yeah, try and try and get more power back to, uh, to individuals and um, away from, from corporations. Oh, episode one. There we go. Um, I really hope you enjoyed it. It was really great to chat to Milo all about the idea of a well-being economy. And it was really nice to hear that this idea is actually being implemented in various different countries in various different ways. And my internet just about held out, I think, which is always good. If you want to find out more about the idea of a well-being economy, you can visit wellbeingeconomy.org, which is the website of the organization Milo works for. Like I said, I've got lots of great guests lined up for the next few weeks. Next week, I'm going to be chatting to Noor from Project CC, which is a sustainable fashion search engine uh, that Noor started while, while she was at university in Amsterdam with a couple of friends. We're going to be chatting all about sustainable fashion, fast fashion, and the fashion industry in general. I've also got Leslie Kern coming on, the author of Feminist City, and we're going to be chatting all about 
how we could make our cities more inclusive and equal spaces. Um, I'm going to be chatting as well to Jeff and Deborah from Breadshare, which is a really cool social enterprise and bakery. Um, so yeah, good things on the horizon. Um, thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Please like, share, subscribe, whatever it is you can do. Um, and tune in next week.